Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another long overdue episode of Total Podcast, where I'm joined again by Hadi, Enrique, and Eric. And today, everyone's in a great mood. It's just what a what a day after today's topic can only really be one thing, which is the Classico, the four 0 Just call whatever you want it. Just a great day for for all Barca fans. And on this fantastic note, Enrique, I mean, kick it off. Just tell us something about the Classico. What you know? What, what was the highlight for you? Or just just anything? Any thoughts on the matter? I loved how the game started off with Busquets just pulling it back so cool, calm, and collected there in the middle of the field. thought that set the tone really great for the game. But yeah, of course, we're all feeling exceptionally good because we just played the pants off Real Madrid. We totally dominated them. They looked awful, um, which isn't too surprising if you have watched them in the last month and all their big games. They haven't looked like a very good team. And, and Barca is a very good team, so we shouldn't underplay that. We always tend to analyze more the losers and why they were bad, but this is a very, very good Barca team. It's different from the team of Pep. It has less control, but it's, it's more exciting. It's more electric, and it's more aggressive. And we've set, up, we've set ourselves up now for a really good season. Our players are coming back from injury, and yeah, this is... It was an awesome day. It was pretty remarkable from the start that even though this is sort of the the electric counterattacking side, how much control Barca had from, and you could tell it was going to be a good game from like the the first six minutes or so, um, yeah. and just how patient it was. the The build up to the first goal is my favorite because it kept going back to PK and he kept getting whistled and it kept getting louder and louder and it was almost like they were just taunting. Um, and he was just loving, but. It. He was loving it, yeah. He was loving it, and it was it was all that right side of the pitch: Pique, Alves, in, uh, Busquets, and then Rakitic and Roberto just completely overloaded that side. Tons of midfielders. Alves playing as an extra midfielder, and and it was the f- I feel like this was the first really assertive like possession based performance in a big game from Luis Enrique, um, and it was remarkable. I it, and then- even in addition to the goals. I think what's building on what, what both you and Enrique have said, just combine the two together, I mean, just that relentless Luis Enrique pressing with the possession game down the right hand, like you said. I haven't seen Cristiano and Marcelo that neutralized in pff, just years. Every time Ronaldo picked up the ball, he had one of one of Rakitic or Roberto and Alves on him. And then Marcelo, I mean, not a hope in hell was he going to get anywhere down that flank with at least four players just in in all the right zones. And and for, for, for many, really, this was... Well, I mean, in all shapes and sizes, just Madrid being outclassed. And I know we've said that they were bad on the night, but but Barca were so so good. I mean, Hadi, do you do you have any anything to add to to just to just this performance, this just electric performance? Um, I agree with everything. There's no room to disagree, honestly. But uh, something I'd like to say is that right after the match, I was a bit. You know, this is pretty bad for, for a football fan, but I was a bit pissed we didn't score a fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, you're not the you only know, one. Yeah, it would have yeah. been really special, you know, to go to the Santiago Bernabeu and, and have those five, you know. But four is yeah. enough, so yeah, I'm cool. I mean, it really it really does set the tone that we're, we're squabbling over whether it should be four or five. And the thing, I mean, I've, I've been a big fan of... of of so many of our youth players over the years, and even for Munir, someone I've stuck up for, but I was fuming when he put that wide. P- 
PK to make it 5-0 would have been just possibly the best day. I mean, not not ever, but, I mean, really, really up there. It's just... Uh. Yeah, you could have seen PK just running around the whole field with his five up in the air and just showing everyone <laughs> in the crowd, like, right in their face. And they would have just been so pissed and he would have just been so happy. I'm, I think I'm there would have been, be, been riots. To be fair to Munir, though, there, there were plenty of other chances to make it five. Messi, in particular botched one breakaway um, yeah with, he passed, with, with he passed right to Suarez instead of Neymar yeah. yeah um there was also that Sergio Roberto chance from right in front of the goal sort of the the volley like thing yeah oh that, that was, was also miles yeah over. yeah I mean it really is like a, a testament to again how good Barca were that there's just a catalog of missed chances as well building on the Roberto one even early days is when Alba played that fantastic ball to Suarez, who just like pinged it off first time, and Neymar had all the time in the world in the box. Yeah, just the picked the spot Mar- and just. Oh, not the one where Marcelo headed off the line. Oh, that way. That, oh, there you go. There's oh, another one. That, I mean, that yeah. was like Ronaldinho reincarnated. That was just unreal. It was, and then Varane even put in that huge block from Rakitic that was definitely gonna go. Oh yeah. Uh, but Munir's misses were pretty bad, guys. They were pretty bad. Yeah. It's true, but I mean, it's, it's okay in the end. And I don't think, I mean, if there's any day you can you can just botch a chance in any situation, it's there. No one's really going to hold it against you. No, I mean, no, no one is upset. And uh, it was really cool of Piquet to send out that photo because I'm sure Munir felt, even though he must have been so happy, he must have felt a little bit of, I don't know, like, you know, embarrassment in that locker room. And I think it's big for a player like Piquet just to take that moment and, and just do that because he, he didn't have to. There was there was also this moment at the final whistle, you know, where like the players all together and kind of off camera, you see Busquets go over to Munir, and I'm sure I'm sure all the Cedar players had sort of supportive words for him. And the the atmosphere on this team is really really remarkable right now. It's it's a, it's a sort of camaraderie and and you whenever you see the players kind of like after the whistle, you realize how close they are from the stars to even sort of the younger kids. Most that's, that's, there was, that's really true. And the, the one thing for me as well, which I think is remarkable, which, I mean, obviously, it only could have happened now, given how, how prevalent social media is. And, you know, only, only now do fans have a, a glimpse of just insight behind what players are like off the pitch. But especially between Messi, Neymar and Suarez, you just see they're just popping up just in, in each other's Instagrams, on Twitter. They're just... And, and even even taking it further from them, I mean, a guy like PK as well, you know, is loved in the squad, and and just everyone just seems just they're, they're good vibes the whole way through. Even 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 after just crises like the Celta loss, you know, perceived crises, there was not a problem amongst any of the team, and there was no blame coming each way. It was always resilient. It's always us against the world, and yeah, very very harmonious team, isn't it? There was the one beautiful moment when uh, Iniesta scored. Then he rushed right right to the sideline where Messi was warming up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, need there to are lo- that. I... Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, there are lots of cool photos from that moment in particular, and it's just magical. Yes, there's actually turning out to be a much more charismatic and I, a sort of uh, idealistic cap, captain that I would have thought. He stepped up big time this season for sure. Um, and it, it, it seems to be something that has been partly personal, and, and I think also Luis Enrique has challenged him. I mean, you, you saw in particular, like he had he had that sort of old Xavi role of being the first man pressing 
Um, and in the Classico, and he was always he was like level with Suarez a lot of times, charging down the center backs, which yeah. was really interesting. Um, but yeah, he's been he's been an extraordinary captain, and is really like enjoying probably his best form since twenty twelve, maybe. Yeah, I was just gonna say I don't really like to play that game of oh you get captain the give you get handed the captain's armband and you all of a sudden get this huge surge of confidence sort of emotional thing, but. As you said, he's playing his best he's played in quite a few years, and he's really taking a lot of risks on the field. He's just taking players on and doing all these crazy like backheel pull passes and just making other people look a fool, but doing it in a way that works. And it's really nice. And you can see also how he's always taking that moment to go over to players and give them a hug if something goes wrong or to congratulate them if they do something right. And... I'm very impressed with Iniesta, and I think, uh, like Luis Enrique said, he's like a, a world heritage site for, I think, football fans in general just really like Iniesta. Can there's, we talk about that, that standing ovation? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my. I mean, that's that's something special. And having, having for me, especially written that, that Ronaldinho article recently, I mean, it's just so fitting that 10 years on, you've seen one of the other great performances at the Bernabeu, and... I mean, fair, fair play to the fans. They recognize what everyone else did. And Iniesta was just, for me, far and away the best player on the pitch last night. He was just impeccable. And I, I think amongst us, we've all, we've all mentioned that tackle. I mean, not obviously now, but that, that, one, that one moment where Iniesta just slid and just recovered the ball fantastically, which you'd never have seen in seasons gone by. Definitely. Just yeah. unreal. Yeah, Eric pointed that out in his review. Ah, they yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that ovation really, I, I mean... It's amazing when the, the sort of moments you get when you realize you're witnessing history. And, like, yes, it's a big score line. And, yes, yes, like, it was an emphatic win. But sort of that, that ovation is when I, it kind of it hit for me. Definitely. And, and the Madrid crowd turning against uh, Florentino Perez in a very significant way that I don't really remember in a very long time happening. I, this could be a big moment for the Madrid fans where I think they're waking up and seeing – what they're doing isn't really working. And also bringing it back to how our team is just so harmonious and happy. And this is something that having listened to many, many hours of podcasts and reading articles from sports around the world, all the journalists who cover sports say it's an underappreciated element of a winning team is, is really just being happy with each other and being there for each other. And I think that's what's given Barca such longevity with a success over these 10 years plus is that these guys like being with each other and they generally want to they want to win for each other and they believe they're doing this together and while it's also true that athletes don't have to like each other to be good together the most prime example being like Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal at the Lakers but they won a lot together but eventually it broke because they didn't like each other so much and one of them had to get traded and the era was effectively ended while Barca the era keeps going because they keep adding players to the squad and they kept kept a core group of players together who just love being there and really just believe in the spirit and it's to our great benefit. I was just going to say the building on the point about with uh, with Shaq and Kobe for the Lakers, I mean, it, it's almost a perfect example for what things are going on at the Bernabeu as well. You have two of the game's biggest superstars and it's been reported numerous times that they don't quite get along and I'm not going to point any fingers as to which one was more to blame last night which is entirely what you know most Madrid fans are doing today and that's quite reasonable because both are absolutely abject but a certain player after the Suarez goal went in was instantly just 
vehemently shaking his head and not looking at all impressed, which, I mean, by contrast, how many times have we seen Barca go behind in the last year? And it's someone like Suarez or Messi or Mascherano especially is always always clapping. It's okay. We, we keep playing our game. Nothing, you know, keep the body language all right. Nothing to worry about. Straight back at it. Whereas last night, from, from that moment on for me, I was like, well... Are they, you know, I think the game's already beyond them. And it's just little things like that. Because if you're not all pulling for the same team, then yeah. what can you really do? It's little things, but it's big things. Uh, at the same time, uh, when, when you have this, uh, this emotional sort of bond between players, there's, this also creates a willingness to sacrifice, you know. I sacrifice a bit from my, from my freedom to give to the other, sort of, sort of like what happens with, the, with our front three who are just... Um, you know, you had Messi with a, was a, was the sole source scorer perhaps for for quite a few seasons before, and then Suarez was the same at Liverpool, Neymar at Santos, and then you have you put all three. They're they're super cool friends. They're really good together, and there's this uh, this sort of sacrifice, you know, um, with chances, selflessness. You know that that's re- a good result also of of this uh, cohesion between the players. And it's not just about sort of getting along. It's, it's also about sort of how many leaders this Barca team has in a way that I don't think anyone would have really predicted a couple of years back when Valdez and Puyo left. I mean, we talked a lot at the time about the core of the team fading out and that you have people who don't seem necessarily suited to be a captain, like, Iniesta or Busquets or Messi even at the time. Um, you have all these new players coming in. You have Neymar, who people insist for Brazil isn't isn't a good captain or isn't a leader. And then and then all of these players and more you have are are, are stepping up and really setting examples. And I think that says a lot about the attitude Luis Enrique has instilled in the squad and, and the sort of. I mean, he he definitely leads by example and the the sort of culture there in that you have all, I mean, Barca have four great captains right now, but you could pick a couple, you could pick three or four more from the rest of the team of just, and regardless of age, Neymar is young, but he is also leading by example on the pitch always and really changed his attitude. I mean, there, there's one word you said, which, uh, which for me instantly was a, just a flag. And it's, it's a word I would use as always, it's, it's culture. You, uh, just for me, I mean, some players, especially Neymar is a great example. I just think so much of what he's become as a player and what he still can be is just born and bred out of being in Barcelona and the culture and values they've instilled at the club. And on Twitter, I saw someone ask a very interesting question. That, you know, what if Neymar had eventually gone to Madrid and, and, and had never, ever been a Barca player? Would, it, would his progress have been the same? And for me, indubitably, no. And it's quite funny as well because ostensibly you have the most Galactico-based front three in world football in Messi, Neymar, Suarez. Yet, as we've said, there's, you know, no... No signs of, of strife or struggle. Everyone's used to being the top scorer, but they've all, as we've said, sacrificed themselves for one another, and it's worked out perfectly. And, I mean, ironically, that's what Florentino Perez was going for this whole time for in two presidential stints, and he's yet to see something like that. So surely then you have to question that there's got to be something within the actual fabric of the club itself that's, that's taking these superstars. And barring one, who's the six-foot-five Swede, who I'm not a fan of and I never, ever will be, um, aside from that, everyone's coming without any problems whatsoever and put aside their own individual preferences or ego. And that, that this really has to go down to, to the club's credit for me personally. Most definitely. And I think there's probably also just a recognition within the players themselves that 
working together and sharing works better for the team and then works better for all of them because even though it sucks always having to compare it to Madrid or Ronaldo, this was the Clásico, so let's do it. You look at Ronaldo, who's had a great deal of individual success, but when his Madrid career comes to an end, which could be this summer, his collective success is nowhere even near Barca's. And that's something that, I don't know if it will bother him, but it's a reality if you're the kind of player who literally gets angry when other people in your team score goals. While in Barca, the MSN front three, they actually look for each other when they feel like, oh, I've scored today, let me try to get a goal for this one. Even last night, you could see Messi was not fit. He was slow, he did a couple things that were pretty bad, but they kept giving him the ball because they understand that this is our guy and he he needs to be involved, as well as even when he was injured, they always were saying about how important Messi is and how much they want him back. I mean, even more so than with, with, with uh, than 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 than, than, uh, than all the players looking for Messi last night. We've even seen earlier this season Suarez and Neymar giving out penalties to one another, and Messi last season, and and Messi even as far back as as the same season when Ibrahimovic was there in the five two, I, I believe, against Getafe Mallorca, one of the two. I, I just remember the moment itself where Messi had scored, I think, a hat trick, and he could have gone for four, and then he just handed it over to Ibrahimovic, who who hadn't scored, in, I think, at least three four games. So it's long since been a thing that. You know, if, if we're all winning, we should all be winning. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, we're losing games, but, you know, one player is Pichichi, so great, you know, get get out the bus and let's have a great time. All right, so I have a question for you. Speaking of kind of awards and, and whatnot, who should... Let's let's assume that the top three for the Ballon d'Or should all be from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Which three should they be? Well, the problem with the Ballon d'Or... It's just so annoying that it's in January. It's the stupidest thing ever that we're trying to have to remember half of one season and half of another season. It makes absolutely no sense. So it's such a difficult question, but I'm pretty much putting Neymar two, and honestly, I could make an argument that he should be one. Ooh. Ooh. I'm not too sure about that. uh, (laughs) Neymar has been exceptional. He's been... Just so unbelievable. He's become such a good player. He's so dangerous. He's so fast. His skills are just incredible. He's a passer. And his stats are they're pretty crazy from even the end of last season. So look, of course I'm going to give Messi the Ballon d'Or because he was unbelievable in the, the winning part of last season. But Neymar's two for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Far and far I, away, I think. For, for the Ballon d'Or and, and many things, even like who's Barca's club player of the season, it's always, well, if you exclude Messi, you know, I mean, it's, right. you're going to say something there, I, Eric. I, well, no, I just say, like, I think I would give three to Iniesta over Suarez right now, or maybe Busquets. Um, I, that's so that, hard, that's, though, that's what because I'm debating. Don't about. you think Suarez was debating. better last season, like closing off the, the treble? Yeah. Exactly. That's why the timing is just one of football's many stupidities. It's also it's also unfair because I mean Suarez clicked after January. So if it was January until the end of that until the end of last season, far and ahead, far and away Suarez. And even though he's not been, I mean, he's been great this season as well. But Iniesta has just been slightly better. But Iniesta will never have any any trophies to show for his half a season now, barring the Club World Cup and the Super Cup. Whereas Suarez has an actual trouble to point to, which is, again, a very unfair thing given how the Ballon d'Or is structured and how, how that works. Yeah, but Suarez's finish um, last night was so sexy. 
<laughs> that's hard. Um, that's a difficult skill. What's up, Patty? Um, yeah, Enrico was saying that Neymar is surely number two. For me, it's Busquets, definitely. Yeah, I knew you would say that. Um, on, <laughs> yeah, on, honest, honestly, um, I think I think we're too forward-focused uh, when we think about the Ballon d'Or top three players. But I think um, an overall influence on the team, uh, Busquets just has this upper hand over Neymar. Hard to argue. Yeah, you can't really Hard to argue, argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things that's never, ever going to be recognized in practice. I mean, Busquets one goal a season, we'll never see him get recognized anywhere by anyone. And that's, that's just how things, how things work with, uh, with FIFA, unfortunately. Um, yep. Let's also give some love to Luis Enrique. I think, <laughs> I don't know, I think there was the Lucha Out hashtag last night, but hopefully it was an ironic way because I cannot believe there's anyone who still thinks this guy is some clueless yeah. <laughs> lost soul who just puts on good players and says, all right, guys, go out there and win. Because that would be just literally absurd. What he's done is being... It's been tremendous, and I think it's part of a, a shift we're seeing in football in general, where you're seeing the old guard of managers like Rafa Benitez or Carlo Ancelotti, maybe even Jose Mourinho, are coming towards the end of their time in football, and we're getting into the time of the new, younger managers like Luis Enrique and Mauricio Pochettino, who really put a big emphasis on playing bold. And that fortune favors the brave about aggressivity, intention, about attacking and, and going out there to win and not not lose, which is what Rafa Benitez does. He goes out in games not to lose. That's his first objective, not winning. I don't know if you'd plan this uh, or if just a fortuitous coincidence, Enrique, probably the latter. But um, speaking of the new generation of coaches, you included Pochettino. I'd throw in Klopp personally. Oh, yeah. And between between Klopp, Enrique, and Pochettino, all of their sides scored four goals, and they've all come away with big, big, big wins. So something's clearly working. I mean, high, high pressing and wait, just, wait, just, we're, counting, we're counting Tottenham West Ham as a big win. No, well, well, it's still, it's still, it's still, it's still a dropping. Year. I mean, well, rather, rather the, the nature of the win was was emphatic. Is, is the point I'm getting at? And the, the system actually shows signs of, of progress. And it's the same with uh, with Klopp. But um, going, going back to what you said more interestingly about, about Rafa Benitez, that's something that for me, having not seen so much of Madrid, in especially early days, I found quite odd because up until, let's say, even three weeks ago, Madrid was statistically in every department better than Barca, yet I'd never really seen them play much. So for me, it was quite baffling to see how there was so much criticism for a man who was, you know, had so much success at first. But when, when I've seen them in this last month, it, there's really been so much missing from their game. And, I mean, that was frightfully exposed for them last night, wasn't it? And in, in a broader sense, though, that does cast or raise questions about his, his tenure and whether or not he's actually going to see the end of the season. And that's what we're, we're going to be getting into right after the break. So we're back from our first break, and as promised, we're not going to get into the matter of Rafa Benitez. Now, Enrique, you've written an article on Rafa Benitez on why he wasn't the right man for Madrid, if I'm not mistaken. And if that's the case, that was well and truly proven last night. 
take take the floor. It's all yours. Tell us about Rafa and where it's all gone wrong for gone wrong for him. Sure, Rafa is an interesting topic for me. Um, as I said before, I think we're seeing the end of the days of his management style. I've already talked about the fact that he's so innately conservative that he goes out there to not to lose instead of going out there to win. What I think is also important with that is how that reflects upon the players he has at his disposal. And I wrote in my article that he's trying to turn in players who are battering rams meant to break down walls into just walls themselves. And I just don't think that gels anymore in this new age of football where the, the player is really the power. They're the superstar. When before the manager was very much the clout and everyone listened to him, and Rafa himself is a very cold person by all accounts. He almost never praises his players for doing anything well. Anything he says they do well is always like, yeah, but it could have been better. And I just don't think that gels with players at Real Madrid like Ronaldo, like Bale, like James. And they've already been coming out and making little, little subtle comments, not even too veiled, to be honest. And the fact is... Most people saw this coming, that Rafa just isn't the guy who can be playing to the Real Madrid way, whatever they define that as is. And even before the match, he was saying, look, I've been managing for so many years, and I'm not going to change now. So it's just to our benefit that Rafa Benitez is there, that Florentino Perez is there, because it's just so crazy that they threw out a guy like Ancelotti, who for the first time in a while, all the players seem to really want there and I honestly believe that it's important that players want to play for their manager and even though I don't think Real Madrid threw the game on purpose I was speaking to a few friends of mine and we said that there could have been an element of the fact that when things when started going badly the fact that they just won't go out there to war for their manager it just makes them capitulate so much easily easier they just don't have the fight in them anymore because they don't want to fight for him I think that you could you could also notice that um, remember in the Mourinho days at Real Madrid, uh, even when the results went bad, everything went bad for them. The players would still go out there and they'd be aggressive. They they'd really kick the the opponent players, especially Barca, just just for the sake of you know, for the sake of the club, for their own sake, and especially for Mourinho, who, who they'd go and hug every time, they'd keep supporting and so on. That definitely won't happen with, with Rafa. For me, I'm not really sure what, what Benitez... I don't want to say what he brings to the table, but his style, I don't see what's in it for the players as such. Because for Mourinho, say what you will, the players who, who as, as the cliche goes, go to war for him really do. There are some who are fully in the cult of Mourinho. And whatever he says and that, that us-against-them mentality fosters... For some, for not for not all, you know, is it is it is it their cup of tea? But for those who buy into it, that's fantastic. And like like you said, Enrique, for for Carlo being sort of like a father figure, arm around the shoulder type of guy, that was something Madrid needed. Rafa, I'm not really sure as to what he brings. He's just very cold, very critical, and even when the going's good, he'll say we need to get better. Which which fair enough. It's something that you know that that Pep even used to do. But obviously, there's not there's nowhere near that connection. And it's, it's quite strange to think that he's not really even been given much of a chance since day one. I remember from the day he was appointed, Madrid fans on Twitter, for, for instance, were saying, what's this about? The media was skeptical. And there was that, there was that somewhat infamous training ground spat with Ronaldo where Ronaldo wasn't, wasn't um, let's put it politely, he wasn't a fan of one of Benitez's drills. 
And it's, 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 for me, at least, it seems strange that that's, that's just, like I said, been the case since, since day one. Is Any, I, any thoughts on the matter? I, I think it's actually a, a consequence and reaction to sort of just the world in general and society in general. There's a lot of surveys in the business world that say that the number one motivator anymore for people is not money. It's appreciation and recognition just simple things like thank you or I, I, I recognize that you put in the extra effort and it's helped me so therefore I want to recognize this publicly and make you feel that and I don't and Rafa Benitez doesn't do that so he's coaching a group of players now I mean this guy hasn't won a league now in 11 years so it's a completely different generation of people and I don't think these players are the kind of people who think of themselves as just clogs in the machine you know just magnets on the tactics board which is how he wants to treat them so i think that's a big part of it that he just doesn't appreciate and give recognition to these players for what they do well and the constant like oh but this is better oh we didn't manage this we controlled this badly we made mistakes i just don't think these are the kind of players anymore who listen to that and say, okay, yeah, we have to be better, and then be better what? Be better for this guy who's never going to tell us we're doing better? I mean, I think it's logical, and it's also just you see this in general in the other sports, how we're seeing the end of the old-school coaches who used to shout at players and tell them you know, how poorly they do and, and think that is a motivation tool for them to get better. You see this in the American sports a lot where coaches get caught on YouTubes just shitting out players, and it creates huge national discussion because we're at the point now where I think we understand that this new generation of human beings react much better to positive reinforcement than, you know, the critical negative, but it's going to make you want to do better. I think it's quite funny as well, and in some cases almost ironic, that at, at Barca, Luis Enrique himself isn't exactly the warmest guy. You know, his, his praise is few and far between, which, again, makes it all the more exceptional when he, when he does praise a player publicly and, and sincerely as well. I mean, most managers, Rafa, of course, excluded, will at least throw in a cursory, so-and-so is a great player, oh, he's just had a form, form is temporary, class, permanent, whatever. But, but actual, genuine, sincere remarks from Luis Enrique aren't that forthcoming. That's not at all a criticism. But it's interesting, and then, again, given how you said how the players of Madrid would not, would not take to being just another cog in the machine, I think in your review, Eric, you'd mentioned this is a continuation of Luis Enrique's system to a point we've gotten um, a Barca machine, as it were, that even if you take out X player, Y can replace. So it's very funny how the very divergent, at least to me, how very divergent paths have come about from not quite the same, but at least similar coaching styles, which I think we can again relate back to the cultural sort of difference between the clubs and the identity of each club and what the fabric of being in that club means to the players. Because I could see someone like Luis Enrique, who isn't that far removed from Rafa Benitez, doing a hell of a job at Real, if we're honest. To, to push back a little bit on your point on Luis Enrique, I feel like he doesn't waste a lot of platitudes with the press, partly because of his relationship with media in general. But I do, I do get the feeling that he is fairly close with the players. Um, but that that it's earned, and you see that with uh, with a couple of, with especially some of the younger guys that he's built a relationship up with over time, like Rafinha and like Sergi Roberto, um, that he he really has like a vested interest in in them succeeding, and you see that in sort of his interactions with them, and also the way he will make a point of getting them minutes in in every game that he can to just. The, when he would continuously play Rafinha last season, even when he wasn't quite good enough, um, 
just that that way of sort of nurturing players along, and it, it eventually plays pays dividends. Same with Sergio Roberto. With, with nurturing the way in the way you've mentioned it and the way you qualified it, rather for me, it's always interesting because I like to look at a coach and and at their tenure at their tenure as a whole, and try and like pick out are there any players who really flourished under them. So for Pep, we have you know everyone. Um, under, you know, it's fair enough to say. Under, even even under Martino, I, I saw leaps and bounds under, from from Neymar, having seen him at his last season in Santos, and with uh, Luis Enrique, as you mentioned. Also, of course, also Alexis and Fabregas for for Martino. Very, very true. Alexis in particular, and that set him on his way to being a stand-up for Arsenal, which is still a bit of a gripe for me. But that's that's another that's another point altogether. With and then with with Enrique, as as you said, um, Sergio Roberto and Rafinha. With Rafa Benitez. And it's not just even at Madrid. I'm struggling to think even at Napoli, are there some players you could really say that, you know, his his coaching style, his management has made them a better player or this is a Benitez player or this player has understood his system or followed Rafa in his mold. You know, like, like Sergio Roberto, this newfound jack-of-all-trades, master of none, is is just Luis Enrique himself. You know, but, but with Benitez, I'm not really sure if there's even a legacy to leave as such. There's no real identity and, and maybe that's because, as we've said, it's just cold calculating numbers and facts. If I, I may answer that. It's a little harsh. Yeah. Okay. Paddy? Um, because, because I followed him at Valencia, so I think I can, I can give uh, an answer. Yeah. By so, all means. So, okay, so can we reset, please? Sure. Okay. Um, if we look back at, at Rafa at other teams... We would also see that even though the results were going well in some cases, for example, at Liverpool, results were relatively well, and at Valencia, the results were really good. The players didn't really have this um, special, in any way, relationships with uh, with Rafa. Um, at Valencia, when he left, the players were like, "Okay, he was he was a good tactician. Maybe at times we won a few trophies with him, but." There was this that wasn't good with him. There was that. He didn't pre- treat some players right. We never felt special or anything. You know, just just tools for, for the tactic. And at, Le- at Liverpool, I think it was Gerard, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, who wasn't really on on good terms with with Rafa. But, you know, he was the coach. They had to de- they had to be together for, for a while. And they won, they won a Champions League, but... You know, there it was nothing beyond that. Nothing of the of the kind of relationship you see, like between Pep and Messi, um, Pep and the other players, or Lucho now with with Sergio Roberto, as you guys said, with Rafinha. Even with Messi last night, they they had a cool hug before Messi went in. So yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's the way Rafa works, and it's it's been a pattern at every team. Maybe at some teams uh, there were results. So, you know, there wasn't much fuss about it. But, you know, at Madrid now, the, the results be, against big teams aren't there. So it's naturally to be, naturally it will be more superficial or at the surface than, than in other cases. I think that that's part of the problem that Rafa Benitez is, a guy, is the sort of guy who sort of makes himself reducible to a bottom line. He's happy to sacrifice personal relationships with, with his players, um, style even, flair, any of the above, just to get a result. And if you're a manager like that, and again, he's not even particularly uh, fostered any good relationship with the fans of any of the clubs he's been at, barring, obviously, Valencia, where he's still revered by, by some fans. But um, 
Yeah, when, when, you, when you sacrifice all of that and you play for a bottom line, if you're not putting points on the board, which he stuttered in the last couple of weeks, this is what happens, I feel. And that's, that's why, personally, I wasn't too sure if he was the right fit for the club or if he could just, you know, with that, spur them on to greater heights. But it really does look like a very combustible sort of relationship. And like I said, if, if results aren't coming in, I can't really see things lasting for him that much longer. Uh, I mean, Hadi's spot on yeah. with his thing because... Jared said that Benitez never talked to him about anything except football, which is remarkable. And all the time there, he never asked him about his personal life, and that's fine. I mean, Sid Lowe says that Luis Enrique actually keeps a, a distance between the players and doesn't, you know, have like a friendship with them. But I highly doubt that he takes it to the extreme of just never speaking to them about their lives. And I just don't think that sort of style gels anymore. I mean, there was that, that, well, that one Torres anecdote that you must have heard that when, when Fernando, I think in 2007, his wife had just given birth and in training, everybody was, congrat- was congratulating him. And Benitez just came in completely unaware and was like, Fernando, we need to work on your runs, you know, past the offside trap or something like that. And everybody just was at a standstill, like, excuse me, you know, so. Um, even, with the fa- even with the fans, just like you said to me, um, at Valencia, he won, he won two ligas, he won the UEFA Cup, and uh, and it was a good team in general, but even the the fans don't remember him as you know um, is, uh, this great coach or something. Um, many fans are still critical of the way they played and so on. And so I think even with the fans, he never managed to to connect despite the good results. For sure, I mean the Liverpool fans were happy to see the back of him. I remember watching a lot of Liverpool in his time and being so frustrated by his conservatism. And when he really could have risked it and maybe pushed on for a, a league title, he just set up for a draw in a hard away game. And, you know, he just took that instead of pushing themselves further. And I remember seeing quotes from Napoli players who were more than happy to see the back of him. And Napoli are thriving without him now under a, a new unknown manager in Sensi. Well, that's all the time we have for Rafa Benitez today, and we're just getting into a final break on that note. Stick with us after the break for just general observations on the game, and we'll also hopefully answer some of, some of the questions you sent in. back after the break we're rounding off our special classico edition total podcast now for the really fun part is where everyone's going to choose their moment of the game and we're starting with you hadi um my favorite moment from the game was um when at the very beginning at the kickoff the ball was passed back to busquets and then you had the the two forwards rush towards him and then when ronaldo got close he was like oh no you don't get it and he had this little (laughs) trick Ronaldo just went by and the ball was passed. That was beautiful. Another good moment. Yeah, another good moment was Iniesta's goal because the way he just shot the ball without even thinking, it was reminiscent of uh, the Stanford Bridge goal. For a moment, for a quick moment, I, I had this flashback and it was beautiful as well. Yeah, that was also one of my favorite moments, the Iniesta goal, because as soon as he was running towards that ball, you just knew it was going to go in. It just was one of those moments where you could just see the future a little second ahead. And 
Otherwise, my favorite moment is it's Sergio Roberto's run and pass for the first goal because I think it's just because we're so... I, not only are we a little bit surprised about how well he's playing, maybe some of us less than others, but I think we're all delighted about it. And that he was the decisive player for the opening goal is just such an awesome antidote. And it was just such an intelligent run into space. And it was just such a great pass. Yeah. Um, Sergio Roberto was the, the highlight of the game for me, too. It just Someone pointed out earlier that Danny playing with Danny Alves is really hard because he always puts you in sort of tight situations and plays those those one-two passes, and he, he expects a lot. Um, when you So he, he gives you the ball where you have very little time. And Roberto was able to, to take that and to shine. And he really he really showed that he was sort of everybody's equal in terms of combination play today. Um, and so for me, the the highlight of the game was the, the fourth goal because it had the, the most little intricate passing. Um, and it was, it was Messi and Alves and Roberto on the sideline. And... Messi it sees some angle that nobody saw. Um, and then the person he passed to was fucking Jordi Alba, who was playing center forward, having just run across the entire pitch, and then was just chilling there. He was he was chilling at center forward for like 15 seconds waiting for the pass. And then it came, and, and he slots it perfectly first time for Suarez. I, one, of, one of the best goals I've seen in a long time. That's a pretty fantastic selection of, of moments. Um, unfortunately, Hadi, you stole mine with Busquets from straight from kickoff. So, looking for another one for me, it would probably have to be the fact that, oh, for yeah, absolutely, I've got, I've got it now. For for Neymar's goal, how Iniesta waited and waited and waited and probably aged during the time it took for for Neymar to make that run. But it was just so Chavi-esque in the manner that, you know, Iniesta Iniesta knows Neymar has to make that run long before Neymar himself has realized, and it's it's that kind of run where. It, you know, as a fan, having you know having the benefit of you know an almost omniscient view of of, of the whole pitch, that someone's going to have to make that run, and Iniesta has just delayed that as long as he possibly can. And in the end, to come up with the ball that inch perfect, it's just on a plate for Neymar. For me personally, that was that was a huge highlight. As was the fact that uh, the first goal was after I believe thirty nine passes. So you know, hashtag Lucho out, hashtag Tiki Taka is dead, and and all of that, which interestingly brings us to our Twitter questions. And this is the first time we're doing this, and nor will it be the last. So for future reference, everyone send us more questions. Um, the two we've picked for today are somewhat linked, and they're from Barca Person and Mo the Arab Keeper. The first question is, who's man of the match? And then the second one is, would you agree that Claudio Bravo was El Clasico's man of the match? I think for man of the match, it has to be somebody who really influenced the game. And while... Claudio, Claudio Bravo definitely had his best performance in a Barca shirt, and that's something I, I'd love to talk about a little more. But, um, but for man of the, we he he was preserving a lead to actually get the lead. That was Iniesta. He was hugely influential in in the whole game prior, where Bravo really showed in like the last half hour. I totally agree with Eric. I most certainly wouldn't give Bravo the amount of the match performance because, like Eric said, he kept the lead as high as it was, but it went out to almost every other outfield player that created that lead. And even though some of Bravo's saves were amazing, but I think a little of them were that Italian style of looking a little bit better than quite how difficult the save really was. 
Well, for me, it's agreed. It definitely, it definitely wasn't Bravo. Um, the obvious choice and the logical choice is Iniesta. I mean, obviously, I've got to give my boy Sergio Roberto a, a shout out. But another surprise candidate, I wouldn't go so far as to say man of the match, but definitely worthy of some recognition and just, just much, much love and much applause is is Alba, who had an absolutely fantastic game. He uh, was was on the overlap. He was defensively solid. Gareth Bale didn't have a sniff, and the assist for Suarez, as Eric said, is just just ice cold. So for me, I mean, far and away, it had to be Iniesta, but but definitely not Bravo, I suppose. What about you, Hadi? Um, for me, it's definitely Iniesta. Uh, there's no, there's not even a debate I'm having between my well with myself with regards to the matter. But, <laughs> but close, uh, a second would be it's a bit uh, it's a bit uncommon, as I've noticed was uh, Busquets. Busquets was just above everybody else during the match. It was silent work, but it was really effective. His defensive stats from last night are amazing. Um, I think he was essential in breaking down every, almost every, every broken down chance for, for Real Madrid. And so he's a close second for me, but number one's Iniesta. I think we can go with a cheesy that the team was the man of the match conclusion. Hashtag, hashtag Enrique out. Absolutely not. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not we're not going for that. Nah, sorry. That's, that's, that's not the one to, to, to mow the Arab keeper. It was, well, it's not Claudio Bravo, but it's not the team either. I think across the board, Iniesta swept that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but no, but no. I mean, at the same time, though, the team does deserve a lot of love. And if there were any doubters for Luis Enrique in particular, I think it's safe to say you can breathe, you can breathe easy. And the one thing that really struck me, and I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but uh, it, it, it took me until this morning to realize exactly what had happened, just process it. But this is a landmark result. Up until the Classico, Barca's narrative was, oh, just just hang on until until January, it's fine, it's fine. You know, all of this, Madrid is so much better, Atletico so much better. If we're not 12 points behind, we've done well. All I'm going to say is we're sitting six points clear at the top of the league, and now we have all those players coming in January. So for me, I think yesterday was was just a shifting of, of tone. And if anyone else has anything else to add about, I'm still having a great time enjoying this win. So if anyone else has something to add, please and please do go. And we played ahead. all those really difficult away matches. Yeah, I think I think the worst is definitely over. And in a lot of ways, this season was reminiscent. Of, so far, has felt like the 2011-12 season, Pep's last. Peps last year, but that season started off really brightly and kind of peaked with with Santos, um, and then David Villa broke his leg, and and everything started to go downhill in the spring. It's it's way too early to make predictions for how the season will end, but I would like to think that the worst is over in terms of injuries, in terms of the fixture list. Um, the club world, world Cup is going to be a little a little draining, but reinforcements in January is going to be absolutely huge. So I think. It's incredible that the the team has survived this stretch and and can only go up from here. Well, all right, guys, that's all the time we have today. That brings us to another to the end of another episode of Total Podcast. Please do keep sending us your questions using the using the hashtag Total Podcast, and see you same time next week.